Well, welcome to Money Talks Week 2. We've been having a series of talks on money, and we're going to be having a series of talks on money for this one reason. Your money is already talking a lot about you. And I know we talked about this last week a little bit. We talked about the fact that talking about money is personal. And talking about church feels like, you know, the church is kind of putting their fingers into your purses and your wallets and your bank accounts and, and so on. Like it's, it's starting to meddle. But that's not what this series is about. This series is actually about the idea that your money is saying more about you than you know. We can pat our resumes, we can pat our social media fee, uh, feeds, and we can make ourselves look better than we are. We can, we can edit photos, we can try and hide the past, we can try and promote the things that are really good about us. But if we really want to know what we're like, what our heart is longing for, look at our checkbooks. Look at our bank statement online. Look at how we handle money because money is a mirror. It allows us to see what we are really like. And, unfortunately, money is also a window. window that window allows other people to see what we are like. And so what we want to do is to perhaps, because we want to be godly people, we want to be people who are known to have a heart for God, we want God to tell us about money. We want God to talk about money. So our money talks about us in a godly way. Now, if you were here with us last week, we talked about the very first thing we should do with our money is consider being generous. And the reason is not because then, hey, everyone look at how generous that person is. It's because generosity has a far greater impact than we could possibly expect. When we are generous, we learned last week, that we are blessed because we become lifesavers. We are literally taking the things that we need in order to survive and sharing them with people who don't have what they need in order to survive. We become lifesavers. And we talked about how to get there. We talked about how to build generosity into our lives. We gave you the, the metaphor. Actually, we literally showed you a ladder. And we showed you the different steps that you could take that you should, to start being generous, make a gift. Give to someone. Give to something. Give to an organization. If you're a person of God, give to the things of God. Give to your local church. And then take that up the next step. Make that recurring as often as you can. Give. And then take that the next step. Become a percentage giver all the way up to being a tither. 10% of what you receive automatically goes to the work of God. And then go above and beyond. And then become one of those lifetime givers that isn't thinking, what is it that we give away? What is it that we give? But to have that transition of thought to, ah, how much do we need to keep? And we'll give the rest away automatically. That kind of generosity models and mirrors the generosity of God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the kind of person that we want to be like. And so the first thing that we do is that we want to be generous. Generous people are blessed because they are lifesavers. That was last week. 
This week, I'd like to ask you a question, and if you were with us last week, you may recognize it. Give yourself a moment to silently answer. Don't type your answer in chat. That's not uh, what we're trying to do. And, you know, we're not trying to embarrass anyone. We're not trying to peel open your, your, your checkbook and put it on display for everybody or anything like that. Just give yourself a moment to silently answer. What is your money saying about you today? Last week was last week. What is your money saying about you today? What is it saying to you? Do you feel stress or do you feel peace? We know generosity is good, right? We just didn't know it was that good. Some of you can answer that question differently. I actually had a couple of amazing conversations over the the week. I'll tell you one of them. A person messaged me on social media and said, I have a very limited income. I don't know where to start. And so we made some suggestions and that person said, fantastic, I'm going to do that the first of the month, next month, as soon as I receive my benefits. See, they're, they're unemployed. They can't work. So they're on government assistance, getting in what they can. And you know, if you're on government assistance, that's not a lot. But this person is taking steps to be generous. And praise God for that. First-time givers are my personal heroes because that is the biggest step of faith, not knowing how God will provide for them in that need. Having said that, you also know where I'm going today. Because what I'm talking about is not just biblical knowledge, it's common knowledge, it's common sense. The concept The next step after you're generous is to save, right? Save. If you want to know what God talks about when it comes to money, when it comes to the money that's going to talk about you, one of the things that you want your money to say about you is that you save well. You're not just a generous person, but you're a person who saves well, who doesn't spend everything that they have. So, here's another question for you. Again, you don't have to raise hands. You don't have to type your answer in chat. Um, Just answer this question for me. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? Setting aside savings for the future is important. Setting aside savings for the future is important. I think most of us would agree with that. I don't need a show of hands. I don't need nods. We don't need to, you know, t- you don't need to type amen in the chat. We all, we all know that saving matters. But interestingly enough, knowing does not automatically equate to doing. I found this uh, great quote from Emery Nelms, who is a senior behavioral researcher in the Common Sense Lab, C-E-N-T-S. That's a lab within the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University. I just love the whole department name, to be honest. That's why I picked this quote. But this is what he wrote. It is perplexing, then, that once you ask the question, setting, do you agree that setting savings aside for the future is important, that if you follow that up with a question, how often do you save, tells a different story. 
We know we should save, yet many people report that they struggle to do so consistently. People have volatile incomes that often don't align well with their expenses, and most people do not even have $1,000 in savings to fall back on in case of an emergency. Despite our shared values around the importance of savings and the evidence of the benefits of doing so, many people aren't saving as much as they think they should. So we don't have an information problem, we have an application problem when it comes to saving, saving on a personal level. And here's the thing that you and I, if we're going to practice godly ways of handling our money, and again, we're going to follow what Solomon suggested when it comes to practicing money, the richest, wisest man the world has ever known besides Jesus. We need to understand why this is difficult for us. Most of us, intrinsically believe that the problem is with the source. The problem is that we don't have enough money. There's no, real co- there's no question that there are external factors that make it hard to save money, right? I mean, let's face it, real wages have not risen in decades compared to the cost of living, right? Stuff has gotten more expensive, and wages just not, have not increased to keep up with that cost of living. As a matter of fact, uh, CNBC in 2019 wrote an article on their website that quoted a survey from bankrate.com, which is a, uh, uh, re- not residential, it is a user-friendly website. It's not an insider-based website, but it's based for common folks like you and me to find good bank rates for whatever it is that we want to purchase. And they kind of track money issues and they try to help you find whatever it is you need in order to have the lifestyle you want. Here's what the survey was on that website that CNBC reported. They asked, what's keeping Americans from savings? And out of the employed people who responded to the survey, 38% of the answers was expenses. Expenses are too high. And that 38% is more than double what the next answer was. The next answer was something like 15% and then 12%, 9%, and so on. Most of the people who were employed answering that survey, over 1,000 people said, the problem is my expenses are too high. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and I? It means this. People feel like they don't have enough in order to save. Now, there's no question the cost of living has risen, right? In the last 20 years, the middle-class life is 30% more expensive than it was. The year 2000, the birth of the new millennium, everyone was excited for new hope and new opportunity. But stuff has gotten more expensive, and being in the middle class has become 30% more costly without the same increase in income. Loosely translated, that means that people have bills to pay and they run out of month before they run out of money. And they're like, well, how do I, how do I save in a climate like this? This is where God comes and does something and says, allow me 
to give you a different understanding of what happens when you save. Allow me to give you a different understanding of what happens when you give first, save second, live off the rest. The Bible actually suggests that we flip the script and stop talking about saving as an expense, but instead as an investment. We're going to take a look at three verses from the book of Proverbs today, and here's the first one. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Can we just read that together? Let's read that together, shall we? Whoever loves pleasure will become... Keep going. The book of Proverbs takes a number of different verses spread out all over uh, it's the, the, the book of Proverbs itself to explain the causes of poverty. And in this particular verse, they describe one of the causes of poverty as overindulgence, spending above one's ability to pay. So it's interesting that it's not a lack of income It's a love of spending that the Bible identifies as the problem. And a lack of spending results in a lack of riches. Now that makes sense to us, right? We kind of understand that. We kind of agree with it. But no one would ever say, I love spending. I love overspending. I love spending more than I have. I love overindulging in everything that I have. And I have more than I need, right? No one would ever say that. We all think that we're spending on the right issues. We all think we're spending in the right ways. But the Bible presses into this further with a second proverb because they push into this idea that, well, if overindulgence is is the problem, then we just, we underindulge. We don't spend. And that creates a problem too because not all spending is bad. That's not what this verse is saying and that's not what the next Proverbs is saying. As a matter of fact, what the next verse goes to show us is that there is a wise way to spend and a foolish way to spend. Let's check it. It's Proverbs 21.20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. In other words, the issue is not that we spend. The issue is that we spend in a way where we consume everything that we purchase, everything that we gain. We consume it all. And so what Solomon says is something that's very helpful for us. He says, flip the script. He says, don't spend and consume everything that you've spent don't consume everything that you've spent take a new approach put some of it away before you use it 
Use some of your wealth to save. In other words, flip the script. Before you spend, save. Give first, save second, live off the rest. Why? And this is where this next proverb unlocks everything for us. This is where this idea of why we should do it in that order is so helpful. And it teaches us just in the same way that we learned about generosity last time, how it does more than we could possibly imagine. It actually helps us to save lives. We learn the same thing about spending. Something amazing happens when we save before we spend. Check out Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Let's read that one together, shall we? Here we go. The rich... And the borrower is slave to the lender. That's the part that I focused on when I first read this verse. That the borrower is slave to the lender. But actually this verse tells us the difference between wise spending and foolish spending. Right? Wise spending saves a little bit. And what that eventually turns into is wealth. And do you know what spending less than what you actually take in results in? You don't just have more money. You don't just become rich, as the verse said. You actually gain influence. You can make decisions that affect others. You don't have people telling you what to do because you have opportunity. You have freedom. You have the opportunity to tell people what to do. If I walk down, to the Monroe County uh, uh, Highway Department. And I say, hey, listen, the uh, road, uh, Spencerport Road, uh, it's just too fast. We've got people on the straightaway outside of our church that are just, just go flying by. We need them to slow down. We'd like to put in a traffic light right outside of our church. Be safer. We think that'd be helpful. If I walked in and put in that uh, submission, do you know how far that would get? How far would it get? Here we get nowhere. Thank you so much for the, you know, here, thank you so much for that uh, input. We really appreciate it. And out it goes. They probably got a form letter for that. But if Danny Wegman comes and goes right to uh, the same highway department and says, look, traffic's too fast on this road outside this little church. Uh, Can we fix that? How fast do you think they're fixing it? Absolutely, because he's got trucks going up and down trying to get to the local Wegmans. That's what he wants. And all that's saying is it's not wrong that he's using that influence. It's just that he has that kind of influence because of what he has. It is a natural operating principle in the world. Is it always right? No. Sometimes Christians treat each other differently because of what they have and what they don't, and Christ calls us to be different. But this is Solomon saying, you gain more than just, here's a cushion for the future. You gain influence. You gain opportunity because you have versus those who don't. Consider the alternative, which is probably something that you've thought of uh, quite a lot if you've ever had to borrow money. 
spending more will make you a slave to those you are indebted to. Spending more will make you a slave to those you are indebted to. In other words, you lose more than money. You lose relationship. You're no longer equals. If you ever borrowed money from a friend and that friend starts calling to get their money back and you don't have it, you notice what happens? There's this rift. There's this brokenness in the relationship. There's a tension in the friendship. It creates an inequality among people when someone owes another person. Let me show you what I mean. This is a training lead for our dog, Lucy. It is very long, right? You can kind of tell this. Say amen. That's super long, right? And sometimes, what, what this lead is for is that we put the, uh, uh, the lead out all the way out here in a nice straight line. And uh, we ask Lucy to sit and then we walk with the lead as far as we can, and then we stop and we turn around. The goal of this is that when we say, come, she comes straight to us and sits. So this gives us a chance that as we say, come, we're able to give her a gentle tug and get her to go this way. Because you know what puppies do when, if they're lucky at all to sit and, and stay in that one spot, and then you start walking away, right? Do you know what happens to puppies? Squirrel! They become a pinball in a pinball machine, and the pinball machine is anywhere they can run to, and because now they're no longer on the lead, they're gone. What this does is it helps guide. Now, in the same way, sometimes our expenses get so crazy that as, as we're kind of pulling it in, it gets a little tied up, and we get a little you know tied up and knotted and twisted up, and all of a sudden... Instead of being a guide, instead of actually influencing others, we're all knotted up, chained up, because of the way that we've spent. This can be an incredible tool where we can use this, and we can use this to guide others. Not calling others dogs, don't go that far. But it can guide others. But if we do it wrong... If we handle it wrong and we get all entangled and all twisted up, we get knots in our finances. And that's what gives us our stress. The way that we approach saving will either entangle you, tie you up, chain you down, or it will give you a path forward. It will help guide others. It will help influence others. And you get to choose how you're going to use that lead just because of the way that you choose to save. And that's amazing. You can tie yourself up, or you can have influence and guide others. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Again, what Solomon is saying here and what God is saying here is that the opposite is not true. Saving doesn't mean that we spend nothing. It doesn't mean that we keep it all because that doesn't make us a wise person. That makes us a hoarding person where we just have and have and have and never become generous even. It starts to fight with each other. And what that does is that actually puts our faith into our money. 
that that's what gives us significance, that that's what makes us important. And God says, no, 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 no. Save as the first thing you do as part of your spending. That's what spending on yourself really is. Save. And some people save to the point where if they saved any more, what's the point? They have enough for all that they need. So how do we put that all into practice? How do we start to, once we've got the giving ladder in, in progress, we're in motion, how do we begin to save? Well, I think the exact same principle is true, that we start to take baby steps so that we can begin to see that, oh, I can reorganize what I spend my money on first, second, third, in a way that allows me to start to save through steps. Uh, one way to do that is the baby steps found in uh, Financial Peace, uh, written by Dave Ramsey. I'm going to give them to you real quick. The first step that Dave Ramsey recommends in the baby steps is to get savings for emergencies. Do whatever it takes to get $1,000 into an emergency fund. Do whatever it takes. Sell stuff. And Dave Ramsey would make the joke, sell so much your kids think that they're next. Sell stuff that you're not using. Sell decorative things that you don't need. Just sell, 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 sell until you have that $1,000. And then... Start to work on debt if you have debt. Use a debt snowball to eliminate that debt. Once you have the debt eliminated, save three to six months of your monthly expenses. Save three to six months worth of your regular expenses. Because what that'll do is just like the $1,000 would help you with an immediate need, all of a sudden, if there's a major life-changing event a hospitalization, a surgery, a job change, something where you are without income for a while, you've got margin and you've got savings. So three to six months into retirement and then divert that and put that into uh, three to six months of expenditures, then divert that into retirement, 15% of your income into retirement and then start to save for your uh, children's college fund. Did you notice that the first Really, five steps are all based on doing something so that you can save and get yourself into a position where you have options. Pay off the house early and then finally build wealth and give. I have not seen a program work more effectively for more people than financial peace. And I have a little bit of a PS, sort of a and a side comment, we're going to be offering this class in the fall. Dave and Kathy Knight will be teaching that. Uh, so watch for information coming about that later this summer and into the fall. If you would like to participate in that and work through with a group to start to practice. I think it's just three months now, right? Something like that. Three months of classes every week where you're just working this plan that you create so that you can begin to see how saving really does set you on the path to freedom and opportunity. There's another thing I would recommend that if that's like, oh, that's a lot, I don't know if I can do that, may I just suggest that you start to automate savings. In the same way that you would automate uh, giving, you can do that. You can automate savings so that you set up something in your bank account where you have a checking account and a saving account, and as you're 
your paycheck comes in, as your social security comes in, you just say, I want to transfer 10 bucks, 20 bucks, something. Take small steps and increase that amount over time. But basically, the first thing that happens when that paycheck is deposited is that some of that goes into savings. Do it first. Right after being generous, save. Your first expense is to save. You can automate your savings. I'd recommend both of those things as a way that you can begin to apply saving. Because it's when we save that we are put on a path to more than just financial freedom. We are put on a path to opportunity and influence. I know this fear. This fear of, but what about my current expenses? I barely make enough. What do I do? I'm not just convinced of this biblically because it's in God's word. I'm convinced of this personally. When my family moved to Canada in 2005, you, sorry, we moved from Canada in 2005 to the U.S. It was one of the hardest things that we ever did financially. Because all of our Canadian financial history was considered irrelevant. We had just paid off all of my student loans. My wife didn't have any student loans. We had no other debts except for a car. And when banks looked at us to have a home for our family... They said, well, you're only here for a couple of years according to your visa, so you are a flight risk. And so our mortgage was approximately 50% of our income. Just in order to have a home. We found it very difficult to save during that time. But in the process of studying what the Bible said about money, two thoughts came to my mind. We, we learned two things. The one was that I never wanted to have to say no to God because I didn't have enough money to live where he wanted me to live. And second, I learned that my income was the greatest wealth generating blessing that God would ever give. Work is a gift from God. And I had an opportunity to steward that faithfully. And when we learned that, that our savings, the way that we saved was the greatest engine for wealth that we could utilize, slow and steady, building interest over time, compound interest over time, we began to take those steps. And it didn't seem like much. But we have learned over that time that God provides. And that God provides in a way that we didn't have to worry. We worked the financial peace plan that Dave Ramsey offers. And it was rough to start. But there was a time when all of a sudden we incurred a car repair that was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But we had that emergency fund. And so when it came time to pay the bill, we just paid it. 
There was no emotion. We kind of thought, ah, it'd be nice to still have it, but we have it, so let's use it on this, and we've got it. And it's now paid for. There was no fear. There was no robbing Peter to pay Paul. And hey, can we borrow this? Or maybe if I move this debt from over here to here and I can make this work and we'll push that one back a month and we'll pay this one this month. There was no stress. There was no which one are we going to pay. We just paid it and went on with our day. And we replenished the emergency fund. Sure, we missed out on things that we thought we wanted. We had to give up some things for a time that we thought we wanted to have, that we would have liked to have. But do you know what we got in return? Something better than stuff. And it was peace. The amazing thing that Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, why are you worrying about what you will eat and drink and wear? Why are you worrying about your stuff? Because you have a heavenly Father who looks at the birds of the air and feeds them, who looks at the flowers of the fields and makes sure that they have water and everything that they need. And do you think you're more important than a couple of birds and wild flowers? You're made in the image of God. And God wants to bless his people, but not in a way where they enslave themselves to others. You are more valuable to him than you know, so you can trust him as you follow his financial plan by the book. His book. It's there that you find more than financial freedom. You find peace, opportunity, influence. So let me conclude with just this. The path to financial freedom is not about having more. It's about saving more. Because saving more puts you on a real path to freedom and opportunity. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come in this moment. And just with every head bowed, with just you speaking to us, Lord, would you help us to see how we have saved. Saved what you have blessed us with. Saved what you have given. And if we need to repent, then we repent for consuming all that we have been given for consuming maybe more than we have been given. And we ask that you would help us to take steps to begin the path to more than just financial freedom, but freedom from stress about money, freedom from worry about provision, what we will eat and drink and wear, because you are a good God. You are our heavenly Father, and you will provide everything that we need. Would you help us to become good stewards, generous stewards who give first and save as the very first expense that we have? Would you help us to take whatever step that is? For those, Lord, that have done that and you have blessed them, 
with those intangible things, Lord, we praise God for the way that you have worked in their lives, for the stories that they have, and for the opportunities that they have. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to use those advantages in a good and godly way for your kingdom. Lord, would you put us on a path to freedom? Would you help us to start to save as our first expense? We pray this in Jesus' name.